0: Well, good morning everyone. How are you this morning? You made it through the traffic okay you don't know if you made it through the traffic okay This is going to be fun. I got a lively bunch today <laughs> uh, why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles with me to uh, Galatians chapter five uh, New Testament Galatians five and um uh, if you're a guest, just so you know what's happening around here, we're currently in a series called Two Ways to Live, and in it we are looking at what Scripture refers to as the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, throughout the study, uh, we've been really pressing this idea and, and the importance of personal spiritual assessment, you know, taking an honest look at our lives. How are we living? Because too often, as Christians, while we acknowledge that God, as our creator, knows what is right and good and true and healthy and best for us as human beings, and we readily affirm the authority of his word to us, uh, on a moment-to-moment basis, uh, um, our lives tend to be shaped more by our personal preferences and our our sinful preferences than anything else. You know, we're just really quick to... um, point out the failures and the evils of of everyone around us and yet ignore our own sinful attitudes and behaviors. It's interesting, in his his new book published this year called The Road to Character, uh, New York Times bestselling author David Brooks writes about virtues. Uh, And in the book, he he differentiates between resume virtues and what he calls eulogy virtues. And he says, Resume virtues are the ones you list on your resume, the skills you bring to the job market and that contribute to external success. The eulogy virtues are much deeper. They're the virtues that get talked about at your funeral, the ones that exist at the core of your being, whether you're kind, brave, honest, or faithful. He says most of us would say eulogy virtues are more important, but, and he goes on to explain how we don't really live as if they are. And so the question we've been asking uh, is, you know, is that true for us uh, in the church? You know, do our lives demonstrate what we say is important? Now, at this point now, after a few weeks, most of us are familiar with what Jesus said to his followers. He said, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. Translation, Jesus said, over time, uh, what you do every day reveals who you really are. Good or bad, godly or evil, followers or phonies, Christian or not. Later in the New Testament, um, as we've seen, the Apostle Paul picks up on Jesus's teaching, and he writes he writes Christians, explaining how we how we put our faith in when we put our faith in Jesus, how the Spirit of God. Um, comes into our lives in a very real way and begins to transform us. You know, He takes us from where we're not just gratifying the desires of our sinful nature, and he leads us in a very different direction toward a very different type of existence. And how do we know if that's happening? Uh, Paul says there's evidence for it. He says, he says, look, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. And some of us say, oh, witchcraft, no problem. I'm not, that's not, no, not, not an issue for me, right? But the list goes on. Listen to these: the acts of the sin- sinful nature are also hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now, all of these things that Paul mentions here, uh, we hear them. We 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 have a we have a sense that they they are wrong. You know, they're they're unhealthy. They're hurtful. Um, And then by contrast, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we hear these, something in our humanness says, yes, these these are right, these things are healthy, these things are beneficial, this list describes the kind of people we should be. I mean, Christians and non-Christians alike agree. These type of what David Brooks calls eulogy virtues are things that we, we all desire in ourselves and others. The Apostle Paul refers to them as the fruit of the Spirit. And he explains that if left to our own sin nature, it's the first list that dominates our lives. And the only way to really live out the second list um, is by the grace and power of God's Spirit, who produces in us all of these. There's not just one or two of them, all of these are growing, and at least should be growing, and manifesting themselves more and more in our lives, in our relationships, and in our church. And so far, we've talked about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. Uh, And this morning, I want to talk about how the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. Now, to a certain degree, uh, faithfulness is one of those words that we in the church like to throw around a lot. We like to use it. But really, what does faithfulness mean? Uh, And the Greek term that Paul uses here in Galatians 5.22 for faithfulness is the word pistis, and uh, it means steadfast loyalty, dependability, being true to one's word, keeping promises and commitments, being trustworthy. Uh, Now, as we've learned over the last few weeks, when we read about the fruit of the Spirit here in Galatians 5, we're essentially reading a description of who God is and what he's like. And just as he is with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, God is also the supreme and, and perfect model of faithfulness, uh, i.e. he is steadfast, he is loyal, perfectly dependable, trustworthy. He keeps his promises, he is true to his word, what he says he will do. You know, in scripture, uh, the faithfulness of God is affirmed again and again and again and again, near, uh, close to 300 times. For example, in the Old Testament, Moses, Moses said, know that the Lord your God is God. He is what? He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him. In life, when things are going well, we know, according to the psalmist, that the Lord is perfect in all of his ways and faithful in all that he does. When life is hard, the author of Lamentations assures us, because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And another song the psalmist sings, I will, I will praise God as long as I live. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. And what's interesting is that the Hebrew term often used for faithful, as in, in this case, is the term emet, which literally means truth or truthfulness. And you say, okay, well then why, why is it translated faithful? The reason is simple. It's because in Scripture, the idea of truth and faithfulness are linked together. They're linked together. In other words, the eternal attribute of God's faithfulness is rooted in his truthfulness. He is truth. Therefore, he is faithful. Now, Scripture says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? David wrote, the words of the Lord are true, all of them righteous. Jesus came and declared, I am the way and the truth and the life. Later in the New Testament, the apostle John writes to the church and he says, he expresses it this way. He says, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. In other words, no duplicity, no no dishonesty, no lack of integrity. I mean, understand something. You know, when God, for example, when God commands us to be honest, you realize that he's not just giving us busy work to do, right? Do you realize that? When God calls us, he, to be honest, he's not saying, hey, listen, since, since I am God and I have the right to boss you guys around, uh, I'll tell you what, here, how about this? Be honest. Let's see how long you can do that. Give it a shot. But that's not how it works. When God says to us, have integrity, be honest and truthful in your relationships, He's saying this is because it, it's the best for your relationships. Honesty is the best thing for your relationships, whether it's in your family, whether it's whether it's at school, whether it's at work. Honesty is the best thing for you. And honesty, uh, when you're honest, it's like you're you're like me, and I want you to be like me. He is true. His word is true is truth. There is no duplicity or dishonesty with God. He's not He's not a shyster or a con artist. He never goes back on his word. He's perfectly good, perfectly consistent. What he says is true, what he promises he will do. In short, uh, his truth and his faithfulness are inseparable. They're inseparable. Now, why is that important to our discussion? Uh, it's important because, because ultimately God's faithfulness is the foundation of our faithfulness, isn't it? I mean, if as his people we know and firmly believe that what God says is true and what he promises he will will faithfully do, he's absolutely trustworthy, wouldn't that and shouldn't that inspire our faithfulness to him? Does it? If so, great. And if not, why not? Why not? Now, I suppose there are a number of uh, reasons or excuses we could come up with, but here's how I see it. Um, the root cause of our unfaithfulness is distrust. Um, I think it's really that simple. I mean, think about it, that's the way it's been from the beginning, right? I mean, all the way back, all the way back in Genesis, at the dawn of creation, we're told that man and woman were created. They were in good, healthy, intimate, trusting relationship with their creator until one day the adversary shows up on the scene and asks, so how are things going? And the answer, man and woman answers, and they say, well, everything's great. Everything is really good. Everything God has created is good. He loves us. He's given us each other. He's put us in this beautiful place. It's like, it's, it's like, um, it's like paradise. And, uh, and so it's all, really, it's all really quite good. He's given us everything we need. We, we can do what we want. We're free to eat whatever we want. To which the adversary replies, well, my understanding is that you can't eat from that particular tree over there. Well, yeah, okay, yeah, that one is off limits. Uh, God said it, if we eat from it, it'll hurt us. It'll cause death. And you really believe that, huh? Hey, seriously come on man if, if you just taste it you will certainly not die you know why God doesn't want to eat you to eat from that tree because he knows that when you do your eyes will be open and you'll be like him he's not being straight with you he's keeping you down man he's a, he's a lying control freak that's what he is take eat some you'll be fine and the rest is history All that to say is that the fall of humanity came by way of insinuation, a questioning of God's veracity, his truthfulness, his faithfulness, which resulted in distrust. Distrust, viewing God as if he's a liar, as one who is not true to his word. And uh, I got to tell you, man, bad things happen. Bad things happen the moment we distrust him. That's where sin and rebellion begin. So here's my, here's my Ray K. Uh, assessment. Uh, we will be faithful to God when and if we really believe him. When and if we really believe him. That's what it comes down to. And understand the difference here. I mean, the issue isn't do you believe in God. I mean, a lot of people believe in God. Over 90% of Americans believe in God. But it's one thing to believe in God. It's a whole other thing to believe God. Big difference. For example, in the Old Testament, we're told that Abraham believed in God, but more specifically and more importantly, Abraham believed God. That's what the text reads. Back in grad school, I had to write a a 40-page paper on this one verse, Um, and I'd like to read it for you now. Uh, I don't even have the paper anymore. I don't know what happened to it. That was back in the days. We didn't have, we didn't have personal computers, you know, so I do not know what happened to that paper. But I will, I will tell you this. I don't remember everything in it, but uh, I, I do remember the gist of it. So here's the gist of 40-some pages. There is a radical difference between believing in God and believing God. Believing in God is easy. It's easy. It doesn't necessarily result in of obedience. But when you believe God, when you believe what he says is true and right and good and trustworthy, then you take action and you faithfully do what he says. Think about it. God said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to pack your stuff and I want you to get your family. I want you to leave your country, your familiar surroundings. I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you because here's the deal. I'm going to give you a son and I'm going to make you into a great nation and I'm going I'm to show favor to you. I'm going to be gracious to you, and all the, all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. And what was Abraham's response? Did he just sit around and say, well, that's a pretty nice idea? No. He believed God. He believed God's word. He believed that God tells the truth, that he can be trusted to do what he promises, and that he will not and cannot ever go back on his word, which would contradict his divine nature. So what happens? So Abraham went, as the Lord told him. In the New Testament, when talking about this, this whole idea of faithfulness to God, Paul writes to the church and he says, you look, Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. He was fully persuaded. Now that's not to say that Abraham never had moments of doubt or he never had any questions, or he never experienced fear and confusion at times. Sure he did. We all do. We all do. Yet Abraham was faithful to God through all of those things because he was fully persuaded. Fully persuaded of what? That God doesn't lie. That he tells the truth, that he can be trusted. That He is faithful to do what he says. He is true. His word is truth. Are you fully persuaded of that? You know the very idea of truth and the discussion of it in our culture today is is always an interesting deal because truth is truth is viewed by so many uh, so many people as an individual matter. It's an individual issue. You know, it's not something you decide. F- it's it is something you decide for yourself. You know, you decide what's right and wrong and 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 all that because, as many people put it, there is no absolute transcendent truth. There is none. And that's what a lot of people think, but I I gotta say, in my opinion, that line of modern Western thinking lacks integrity. Because those who say there are no moral absolutes, and who say that you cannot impose your view of right and wrong on anyone else, are the same folks who are very quick to join the ranks and condemn acts of violent terrorism as being immoral. How dare they do that? How dare they label it that? If all truth is a matter of personal choice, if there is no God who has spoken objectively, then any and all pronouncements of this being moral and that being immoral are completely subjective. There's no basis for judgment, no basis for your judgment. Therefore, you don't have the authority to tell anyone that his or her uh, actions, whatever they may be, are wrong. Maybe, Maybe shooting people on a community college campus is their thing. Who's to say? Maybe promiscuity is your thing. Maybe racism is your thing. Maybe violence is your thing. So you can say, well, I personally find it immoral. Okay. But you cannot say it is immoral. You can't have it both ways. I mean, understand, when you, when you destroy the possibility of absolute truth, then you destroy the possibi- possibility of any truth. If God has not spoken then everyone's opinion is all that we have. Everything is subjective. We can be sure of nothing. And a lot of people fail to see the contradiction in this. Uh, uh, on one hand, they will say, there is no such thing as absolute truth. And as soon as you say there is, they say, well, you're wrong, which is an absolute truth claim. <laughs> you know, they have just violated their own stated opinion. But but people are, are are amazingly inconsistent, you see, when it comes to this. Now, what's my point? My point is this, that... As Christians, we acknowledge the reality of absolute truth, right? We acknowledge it, that God is truth, that his word is true. And we in the church love to talk about it. We love to talk about the truth of God, the truth of God, the truth of God, the truth of God. But do we live as if we believe it? Do we live as if we believe him? Are we consistent? Are you faithful to him, to who he calls you to be, uh, to what he calls you to do? Are you loyal? Are you dependable? Are you true to your word? Do you keep your promises to God? I mean, make no mistake, faithfulness to God begins when we trust him and stop stop treating him as if he's a liar. It means we trust him, trust that he's a good father and he always has our best interests at heart and we believe that he loves us and that by By grace through faith in Jesus, he rescues us and forgives us and gives us life. We believe he has uniquely gifted every single one of us to serve others, that he's given us in life all that we have and we're meant to generously share it. We believe that he's working in and through us by the power of his spirit. We live with confidence that whatever bad things happen to us in this life, they'll someday be made right. That's his promise. And here's the thing. You know, faithfulness, faithfulness is necessary, man, when God's promises seem to contradict what we see around us. You know, when, when God's ways seem hidden, when evil strikes, when hardships come one after another, that's when we need the Spirit to produce the fruit of faithfulness in us. Is that happening? Are you faithful to him no matter what? In his book, Renaissance, The Power of the Gospel, However Dark the Times, Christian author and thinker Oz Guinness uh, discusses uh, some of the current issues and challenges facing the Western church. And one of, the, one of the issues he talks about is faithfulness or the lack thereof among those who claim to be followers of Jesus. And Guinness writes, he says, After a half a millennium of dominance, the West is being eclipsed in the global era. The United States as the lead society in the West stands on the verge of relative if not absolute decline. He says as much of the and much of the Christian church in both Europe and North America is in a sorry state of weakness, confusion, unfaithfulness, and cultural captivity. And so Guinness goes on, in the book, and he calls Christians, he calls us in the church to faithfulness. And being faithful to God means we trust him, we obey him, even when doing so requires personal sacrifice. It means God can depend on us to do what he's called us to do, to be who he's called us to be. We are loyal, we keep our commitments to him, we are dedicated to serve and give of ourselves and our resources to bring the good news of God's grace in Jesus to our world. Because if we refuse to do it, Guinness says, what hope does the world have? What hope does the world have? He writes, whether the times are bright or dark, we can, whether we can see God in action in front of us or he seems absent and long delayed, and whether our cultural standing is once again admired or disdainfully cold-shouldered, we have our trust in him to be true to, our ministry to perform, our callings to which we must prove faithful. As always, faithfulness is all and the circumstances are beside the point. Our faithfulness must therefore show itself in a waiting that is vigilant, energetic, and enterprising. He says, wherever there are men and women faithful to the Lord, let them trust God and live out their calling to Jesus. Wherever those callings take them, that is the call to faithfulness, an act of transforming engagement that we pray will flower in a new Christian renaissance in our time. Now, I realize that was a big gulp of Guinness, wasn't it, so to speak? <laughs> That's a lot of Guinness. Uh, so here's my Reiki summary. He's saying to, to us in the church, he's saying, look, our faithfulness to God, our faithfulness to God is not just about us. It's not just about Our faithfulness or lack thereof is not just about us. It impacts the world one way or another. And much of the church today seems to be lacking and that faithfulness. So, author David Brooks calls faithfulness a eulogy virtue. Along with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, the Apostle Paul calls faithfulness the fruit of the Spirit. A steadfast loyalty, a dependability, a keeping of your word and commitments. It's believing God is honest and trustworthy. Therefore, it's living in obedience to what he says is true. Do you know what Jesus said about it? Jesus said, faithfulness. Faithfulness will be an identified characteristic of his followers, who he said will one day be welcomed by God into heaven with the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful to your master. Now come and share your master's happiness. So here's the question Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe God will speak those words? And most importantly, do you believe He will speak them to you? I certainly hope He will. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that uh, in these few moments that we have left, that your spirit would um, would work in our lives. To help us. Help us to uh, be honest with you and with ourselves. Help us accurately assess our lives. Help us identify whether or not we are faithful to you. Help us identify, Lord, where those areas are where we're not faithful. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, to show us what is true in our lives. I don't know what it, I don't know what it is for us. It could be any number of things. You, you, you call us to be forgiving. Do we believe that that is the right thing to do? Do we forgive? You call us to be generous for the sake of your kingdom. Are we? You call us to use the gifts you've given us to serve others. Do we? You call us to love the marginalized, the forgotten, the broken. Identify, Lord, for us those areas where we are unfaithful. We ask you to do that for each and every one of us right here, right now. Where are we unfaithful? And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just identify it, but we would also ask you to strengthen us to change it, to make us people who are faithful to you, our God, who is always and eternally faithful. Help us to be dependable. Help us to be loyal to you, to fulfill our commitments, to be trustworthy. We ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for being with us this morning. And maybe you have questions about this thing called Christianity or this idea of God's grace is new to you. Uh, following the service, some of our prayer team folks will be down front. They'll be happy to talk with you or pray for you. But um, come back next week. We're gonna we're gonna keep going through the fruit of the Spirit. We have a couple more to do. I hope you're finding them helpful. I know I am, and I'm finding them challenging in my own life. So. Uh, Uh, come back and join us, okay? In the meantime, have a great week. Let me pray for you and then we're dismissed. You are a good, good father. You are true, you are faithful. Um, You are loving and gracious to us, forgiving um, and empowering. And so I pray, Lord, by your spirit, you would empower us to live lives this week uh, that point people to you, to the God who loves them. And so may your hand of grace and peace and strength rest on your church today, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.